to be um, transferred to the Harbour Bridge, I was working at the Henderson Police Station. And I, I really wasn't too keen about it because I didn't live too far away from the Henderson Station and it was easy to commute to work. But then thinking about the traffic on the Northwestern Motorway and having to go backwards and forwards, I, I just wasn't really keen about it. But they were centralising and they wanted my office moved to the Harbour Bridge. But when I got there, you know, I, there were more positives than negatives. And I really felt the Lord saying that I was on mission. Now, I'd been, Sally and I had been to mission fields. We'd been to different places, third world countries and that. And when I thought of missions, I thought of actually, you know, in, in a, some poorer country than ourselves and sharing the gospel with the, the people. But God was really saying to me, no, Paul, that is your mission field, that uh, police station. So I really needed some help. There's a photo I just put up of the, the, the station there at the old, where the toll plaza used to be. Used to be tolls across from there. Anybody remember the tolls? <laughs> Us oldies, all right. <laughs> um, but that was where the, the Harbour Bridge toll collectors, they had their office and they had um, you know, their rooms there. And then when the police took it over and the tolls were gone, it became a police station. And downstairs, um, the brick part down the bottom there, and there are high windows. When you're actually in there, that you, can't really you can't look out the windows like that. They're up quite high. And they converted the locker rooms into offices, and I felt like I was in the dungeon there. But uh, you couldn't tell whether it was raining or it was fine uh, when you were in there because of the, the eaves that stood out. But God was really talking to me and saying, you know, this is your mission station. This is your mission field. And so in a sense, I'd gone from familiarity at one station into a new place. I still had my team of uh, crash investigators, but, you know, I was in a new place and a new environment and a lot of new staff there. So I really said to the Lord, I, I need some help. Uh, with this. And I can remember sitting on Central Park Drive one day in the car, and God said, I will use simple Bible stories. He said, just simple Bible stories. And I realized that really as, as this sort of developed that there are people that don't, have never heard any of the Bible stories that we know. And there were, so there were stories like um, Noah and the ark, you know, and Joseph and his technicolor dream coat, and even the pig pen and the prodigal son. These are the sort of stories he was bringing to my mind um, at that time and also giving me the ability to share them. So I didn't need, you know, to be great at anything because the Spirit was able to come through and all I had to be is willing. But when I was, you know, preparing the message here about um, these things, the Lord spoke to me about, prodigals and the term prodigal and it's sort of just a bit of a side note here but he stopped me while I was writing this and he wants to speak to anybody here really uh, who have children or grandchildren that are not walking with the Lord and I seems to him saying look up the meaning of prodigal and so I did and it's really uh, wasted his possessions on prodigal living. In other words, recklessly wasteful, uh, lacking morals and licentious behavior. And the more I looked into this, the words got bigger and bigger. Uh, as for, you know, but I wanted to keep it simple. But what he was saying to me was that many of our children and grandchildren who are away from the Lord are not seen 
by us or him as reckless, wasteful squanderers, decadent, immoral, wicked, or shameless people. You know, he was saying that many of them are running businesses or running families. Um, they're still at school, or they may even be unemployed or even in prison. But so were some of the Bible greats. And some would have been in prison if they'd been caught. You can think of Moses, for example. So he really wants us to know that be careful with that word prodigal. It's a term that we just use for people that are, that are away from the Lord. But if you actually think about the meaning of it, we could actually be prophesying something that we don't want on our children. If you're getting what I'm saying? So it's a term that was designed to say how bad the prodigal son was, but it's developed into somebody who is away from the Lord. So really he was saying, so God was saying to him, call them God's harvest field. Call them your inheritance and pray for them. So we just put up that slide there. And what do we pray? Pray that their eyes will be opened because it's the enemy that blinds the eyes of the unbeliever. Pray that they meet good people in their life. These are things we can pray. Pray that they will make good decisions and pray the blood of Jesus over them. And I just thought it'd be just good. Let's just pray. Can anybody think of somebody that may be in that category that is not walking with the Lord? Can you think of somebody in your own family? That's not Shall we pray for them? Let's just stand. Let's just stand. God hears our prayers when we're sitting, and he hears our prayers when we're standing. But just start to think of these people. Just start to pray for them. Lift their name up to the Lord, because he specifically spoke to me about them. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to lift up these ones that are coming to mind now. Lord, if we've spoken words over them that is just not the truth, we ask for forgiveness for that, and we break any words that we may have spoken over our children and our grandchildren. Lord, you love them. You died on the cross for them. They're our inheritance and they're our family. So, Lord, we just pray that you will open their eyes. We come against the enemy and the blinds that he puts over our children and our grandchildren. We break that in the name of Jesus. We pray, dear Lord, that they will meet good people, that you will put good people into their path, Heavenly Father. We pray that they will make good decisions in their life, Lord, as you gently lead them towards you. We pray that you will visit them in the night. You will visit them in the quiet times, mighty God, and you will speak to their hearts and you will draw them and continue to draw them. We thank you for what you are doing in their lives, mighty God. We thank you that you love them to bits. We thank you that they're, you're on their case and you will never let go. And we pray the blood of Jesus over everyone. We pray the blood of Jesus over their households. And we pray, mighty God, that they will come into your kingdom in our lifetime. But we commit them to you in your precious name. 
And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Believe it. It's interesting when God just talks to you like that, and He just says, I'm interested. I'm interested in everyone. You know, going back to the stories, you know, Noah, you know, and, and when God gives you something like that, He just doesn't leave you on the lurch, you know, Noah and the ark. Okay, well, how does that work when you're telling that story? It's an interesting story. Animals went in by two by two. But if you actually think of it, some people think that Christians do some odd things, especially, you know, why do we go to church? Why do we pray? You know, Sundays are for fun and things like that. Well, why was this silly old man building a boat, if you know what I mean? Why? They just thought it was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It wasn't by the sea, you know. So sometimes we're seen as doing crazy things. But each person had a choice, and they were given a choice of salvation. That boat could have taken many people with, with them when the, when the waters came. But they, they saw things as the world sees things. So when that door is shut, and when I was telling the story, tell the story like that, and I'd say when the door is shut, and actually when I shut, I'd clap my hands. So it's just sort of thing, when the door's shut, it's too late. If you, you haven't made a decision by the time you die, it's too late. But when is the door going to shut? We don't know that. And so that was a challenge. And, it was, and then you had, the, um, you know, Joseph in the Technicolor dream code. Well, it seems God's put in people, visions in people's, God's put dreams in people's hearts, even before he brings them to salvation. And a lot of people can tell you that. There are people that have been saved from, uh, in a miraculous way from death in their life. And they just say, something saved me. And yet they haven't had salvation message at that time. So those are the sort of things that God can orchestrate when we take that time to share with people and open the doorway that God has already been knocking on. And my office was off the main um, corridor there, and most people coming into the building would uh, go up and down the corridor, mainly because of the cafeteria at the end. But from time to time, the um, bosses would bring in dignitaries and politicians, and generally they would end up coming into my office. I mean, that was a God thing, I know, but being the officer in charge of the serious crash unit, we were the ones responsible for closing the road, especially when you're going on holiday. You know, we planned it that way, so you're just finally, you'd, you'd read about it in the Herald all the time, all the lawyers going up north to go on their batch, and there'd be a fatal motor accident. And it was our fault because we closed the road, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of pressure on us to keep those roads open. And um, so they would come in and just to find out what we do and what we do. So we'd have things up on the wall. And we were, we were, in a sense, the New Zealand police were learning. We are having to learn uh, about crash investigation. It wasn't something that um, we majored in for many years. It was quite disappointing. But once we got the hang of it and got going, it was a very interesting area. So I was... Um, you need, you know, to not only to gather this information, but you need to actually let the lawyers or the judges or the coroners, they have to sort of agree with you. It's one thing to go out and look at stuff, but really you've got to put it together so that the courts um, will understand it. So facts would be, and where I'm leading to in this, I, facts was what we were about. We wanted to gather information, show it to somebody else, and then they agreed with us with what we were doing.
um, you know, like, were the lights on or the indicators on? Or was the marker light on the back of a truck, was it on at the time of the crash? You know, how can you tell that? And I thought I'd just show you something here. You know, most cars at that stage had bulbs. And it would be in your headlights, it would be in your indicators, it, you know. So just a simple bulb like that. And in that bulb, there's a filament. And the filament is a bit like the, the spring in a pen. Anybody been bored at school and their pen's broken and, you know, you're fiddling in the, with the pen and you've got a spring inside that? Does anybody recognize the spring here? Everybody, everybody has, hasn't they? All right? And then you're just displaying away, you know, you, you flicked the, the, the white thing into somebody else's face or at the teacher, you know, that's flowing off. And then you've just got the spring left here and you go sort of like that. And then you realize something, the physics of that, you can't put it back. <laughs> I can't get this thing back to go. Once you pull the spring out, that's it. Now, in, in a motor vehicle accident, your filament gets very, very hot. It, it heats up, and that's what causes the light. Even an indicator, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, you know? But it's hot. So when an accident occurs, and the car comes to a sudden stop or hits something, the filament keeps going. So it was tidy like that original spring there, sitting, minding its own business, it was quite hot. The sudden stop causes it to spring out like that, and it's out of shape, all right? That's what happens to a hot filament. Now, at times, because of the crash, it could break. So it could snap, well, not snap, but break, and you'd find a a ball of heat on one end and on the other. So you knew that that light was on at the time. And quite often when it hit the glass, it would cause it the glass to break as well if the impact hadn't. Now, so that's if the bulb... But if it was cold and the, the lights weren't on... And this is the thing. You, you go to an accident in the middle of the night and it's a giveaway sign and, you know, it's just a straight road with a giveaway sign, cars pulled out, crashes happened. Well, it's easy, isn't it? The guy pulled out the giveaway sign, it's his fault. But the thing is, if you're investigating it, you want to know, well, why did he pull out? You know, people are dead at the scene. It's a, you know, that's when we were called out, when people were dead. So it's a matter of saying, well, that car coming down the road, did it have its lights on? Did the guy see it? Did it was it his fault or was it the vehicle's fault? So going back to that spring again, the spring, let's say if we could look at it under a microscope, it's going, microscope, it's going to look like a piece of metal like that. And if it was cold, that's what it, that's what it would look like. Um, if it, because it, it's cold metal, and if it broke, and you have a look um, often with your light bulbs at home, you can have a look at them, and if they're not on, that's how the filament will look. And you could then, under a microscope, microscope put that back together again so you'd know the light was off just things like that but when you're looking for something that the filament is about that big you know it's tiny you're looking for that on the road or hopefully parts of that are still sitting in the bulb is still sitting in the car but you're starting to look for some very small stuff the tyre, it's easy for somebody to get out of a car and blame the tyre. Look, you know, I, I had a blowout, all right? 
But then when you take the tire off and you have a look inside it, you can tell whether the tire blew out on impact or it blew out before the impact. Why? Because it's either going to explode inwards or it's going to explode outwards. All right? So if you're driving along and it suddenly blows, the explosion is going to come out. So the damage of the tire is going to be coming out. If you hit the curb or something else, the damage is going to go inside. So it's a matter of looking at these sorts of things. It's actually quite a, a really interesting science. You know, dead people um, being dragged out of the passenger seat and put in the driver's seat before the cops arrive so that the, the family of the deceased have to live with the fact that their son or daughter, well, their son usually, killed people or whatever, or died, but really it's just the mates shifting the car people around. You know, it's trying to establish who was actually driving the vehicle is important. You know, people wearing seatbelts and things like that. It can all be told afterwards because there's energy. Now, why I'm really talking about this is because when you're in that environment where you're looking at facts, you're looking at um, what's true and what's not true, then I really felt that I wanted a scripture to go up on my wall that challenged. A scripture that actually said something that what I wanted to say and what the Lord wanted to say. And so this is the, the scripture that the Lord gave me. Can you see that? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If we just pause there in a minute and say, well, which line applies to you? I'm hoping that the, the bottom line is relevant to you today. But you see, it's a verse that can't really be argued with. If somebody is a non-believer, they're not going to say, oh, uh-oh, if I say something there, I'm going to put my foot in it. Because it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Remember the disciples trying to trap Jesus. He was so good with his answers that they decided it was better just to be quiet. As Christians, we should never be ashamed of the cross. But God isn't. God isn't ashamed of the cross. We need to embrace it in all its ugliness and in all its beauty. Got a thick picture that I took here while I was in Israel at the Nazareth village. It's a recreation of different aspects of the life in those days. And they have people walking around like you see on the left there. But there was this, I took this photo of a cross, a replica cross there. You, you know what the cross looks like by what artwork you've seen or your imagination. But it was a tree. There was no effort. There was no carpenters making crosses for the Romans. You know, it was an ugly tree. The people that hung on it were rubbish. They were the dregs of society. There was no effort made in their death and no effort made in killing them and going to any expense. You notice 
that they've somebody's draped a cloth over it. And I know that that you see that in in different places where the cross is tried to be sanitized a bit. It's tried to make it a little bit more um, softer, and people drape cloths over it. But it's ugly. It, it's awful. The nails that are used, you know, are, are, are heavy, ugly, awful things. They could have been used several times. You want to just pass those along? Just, just pass that. those things along. It, there, was nothing, there was nothing nice about it at all. You know, there have been many crucifixions over the years, but Christ's cross changed the world forever. It gave mankind a choice, but was misunderstood. Those that have the Spirit of God living in them are aware of what, how important that cross is. We have some understanding, but most don't. Paul says that where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, when that, those nails came around, hold them and just say, would I want these through my hands and through my feet? There's an ugliness about that. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. He was adamant. In 1 Corinthians we read, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. When sharing our faith, the cross is as ugly as it gets, but it is also as beautiful as it gets. When we see the ugliness of Christ's sacrifice and his suffering, and yet we see the beauty of our sonship as we become sons and daughters, there's an ugliness on one hand, the brutality of it, but there's a beauty on our salvation. Anybody agree? You don't have to be quiet. But we too must preach and teach 
and talk about Christ crucified, what he did, can't and shouldn't be watered down. As it says above, you know, as it says in that verse, it's the power that brings salvation. Do you realize that? It's the cross. We give testimonies. We, we share with people. You know, I sh- shared with people about, you know, Noah's Ark. I shared uh, these Bible stories. But really, it's the power of the cross that actually changes people's lives. We can't leave people to doubt about Christ's sacrifice and about his promises. You are an example of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Your life as a Christian, you only got there through the cross. So we came to salvation through this ugliness. And we came to salvation through God's love. But nobody understood. They had no understanding whatsoever. If we look at uh, slide seven, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So here, in a sense, I'm painting a picture that the whole thing of the crucifixion is foolishness to the Gentiles. It's foolishness to the world. So then how do we get connected to the truth of that? Because God only reveals it by his spirit. If we'd been standing there observing Christ's crucifixion on the cross, would we have seen its significance? Would we have seen it differently from anybody else? Would we have seen a perfect sacrifice from a perfect God? A sacrifice that would make atonement for everyone's sin, past, present, and future, for all those who put their faith in this cursed man. As the scripture says in Galatians, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. In those days, nobody walked around with crosses hanging around their necks or had crosses tattooed to their legs or arms. Crosses didn't adorn the front cover of their holy scriptures, nor hang prominently in their houses. It wasn't until the second century, in the, at the end of the second century, in the, third, the beginning of the third century, that crosses started appearing as a symbol of Christianity. And before that, priests used to use the cross when they prayed for people, just as a, a, sing, uh, a symbol It began in that way. And then the crucifix with Christ still on the cross, that didn't start appearing until the 6th century. 
The cross was ugly. It was dirty. It was shameful. Anyone who had a relative killed on the cross was not proud of it. It brought shame. So to those involved in Jesus' trial or witnessed his crucifixion, it was stupidity. Caiaphas, and I've, we've been down and we've been to Caiaphas's house, and it's a very moving, a very emotional place. Uh, they show you the hole in the floor. It's not a big, big hole where Jesus was put down into his jail. And it was just a hole in the floor. You'd have to be lowered on a rope and in there for the night. And they've cut it away so you can actually come down some stairs and come into that cell area. It's a very moving place. Knowing that he was there. But Caiaphas actually prophesied, and this prophesy hasn't fully come to pass yet, but he actually um, prophesied as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So he actually prophesied that the Jewish people and the Gentiles would come together as one. And that fully hasn't come yet. Because the Jewish nation is yet to wake up to Jesus being their savior. So I look forward to seeing that happen. But of course he wanted Christ dead. Pilate couldn't find any charge against Jesus. But to appease the chief priests, and they said to him, if, if you know, you want to be a friend of Caesar, then you need to kill this guy. The disciples, what was their thought about the crucifixion? They hadn't had any revelation. They were disappointed and despondent. What about Jesus' mother? And her friend, sad, absolute distraught. And the soldiers, they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Why am I going through this? Because this is the sort of thing we meet with the people in society. As I said, the cross is stupidity. But is it stupid to us? The centurion had a glimmer of hope. He exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. You know, only one man had the revelation. The revelation of who Christ was. Anybody know who that was? Peter? Where was Peter at the crucifixion? As I said, if we put up slide four. Slide four, is it? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. This is where I get emotional. This is where I'm drawn into the picture. The one person who had the revelation was a criminal. You think about that. 
a despised man, received the revelation of the cross through the Spirit of God. Now, most of you in this room have received the revelation of the cross through the Spirit of God. And you probably never thought about that, but you, by the power of God, has given you the revelation of the cross. How often do you talk about it? It's too ugly. That criminal made the connection between Jesus, the cross, and heaven. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yes, a criminal. Somebody who made mistakes. Somebody like you and me. And Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He could not know that unless the Spirit had revealed it to him. And why didn't the others know? Because it wasn't God's plan for them to know. So that's the beauty for you sitting here. It was God's plan for you to know. How good is that? Anybody agree that that's good? It's anybody. Two hands. Two hands agree that that's good. Can you get that? I mean, it, this is a revelation to me as well as I go through this. That I, I, I know people have shared with me and I, and I believe. But I didn't realize that I'd actually got a revelation. In other words, God had, had to open my heart, open my spirit to receive that revelation. Because many don't. Many don't. It was, it was huge. Now, can you picture? I tried to picture what it would be like in heaven for that criminal when he gets into heaven. Okay, he's dying on the cross. He's, he's asked Jesus. He said, you truly, you'll be with me in paradise. The guy's got no idea what it's going to be. And he gets to heaven. And if you can picture in your mind, there he is and he sees Jesus. What's it going to be like? He's going to go, G'day, bro. You know, the eyebrow raised, G'day, bro. <laughs> no. He's going to grab the Lord, isn't he? Like, I can just picture arms and legs around him. He's not going to let him go. And he's just going to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He got in by the skin of his teeth, and yet he'd be so, so thankful. What are you going to be like when you get into heaven? Good day, bro. <laughs> yeah, I've lived a good life. I did everything I should have done. I deserve to be here. <laughs> And then you'll be so surprised. What are you doing here? <laughs> what? Your house is next to mine? 
You never know who you're going to be living next to in eternity. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. If we realize the, the importance of that ugliness, if you know what I mean, and the importance of that beauty, we need to grasp that cross. In Hebrews it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Isaiah told us, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The true significance of this event was invisible to nearly everyone who was a spectator at Jesus' crucifixion. And it is the same today. To many, it is still foolishness, a weakness, a fable. Why? Because they see it through the eyes of the world. When in Caesarea, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, my Father in heaven. It was revealed to you here today by our Father in heaven. You know, two Thursdays ago, I think it was, that Irene was in our prayer meeting and the Lord spoke to her and said that she'd like her to take some baking into one of the mental health institutions in Kaitaia and she baked trays of food and I said I'd like to go with her God had a message for the lady running that Elizabeth and it was that he loved her. But working through his servants, he was able to touch that lady before we actually walked in the door. She came out crying. And we just had to join the dots. She saw the kindness in taking food to the mentally challenged. But God was saying, I love you. And he does it through people. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another story in the Team Unlimited meeting uh, this afternoon about the love of God working through people. You know, we were able to, we, were, we came away from that place blessed, wholly blessed. And we were able to pray for that lady. And God wants to do that through you. Because you've got the revelation. That revelation is a huge privilege. Jesus said in slide 14, you do not choose me, 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. Amen? Where does it last? It's in heaven, in eternity. So how will your neighbor, your friend, your workmate, school friend, hear about Christ crucified? Paul says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will they go and tell them without being sent? But then he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And hear this, we quote this verse so often. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the word. But who needs to hear that word? Who needs to hear it? Especially the unsaved. Your friends, your family, your workmates, the people you hang out at school with, they need to hear that. So if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose on the third day, then your eyes and your heart have been opened by the Holy Spirit. No other way. So don't be ashamed of the cross. Don't try and hide the cross. Tell people when you get the chance, Christ died for you. He took your punishment. This opens a door to their heart, a spiritual doorway you cannot see. Don't hide the cross. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation. 